Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You are listening to Rainbow. Dr. Jennifer Daniels, and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. It is Tuesday, October 6, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And today's topic is the FDA bringing great treatment to you. And this uh, show title came to mind because, as you know, I get these mailings I'm on the, the doctor list to get the latest alerts. And I got this alert that the FDA has identified diseases for which there is no treatment and for which there needs to be treatment. And so there's a special program called the Priority Review Voucher Program for Drug Development. Yes, sir, Bob. And I was reading this, and I was thinking, wow, isn't that nice that the FDA is trying to make sure that illnesses have therapies available? Until I read that one such approved drug showed that its therapy increased death rates fivefold over placebo. I was, as you might imagine, shocked. Um, now, some people think the FDA is out of control. I don't think so. 
I think that they're doing a very good job of what they are designed to do. And I think looking at this priority review voucher program for drug development really kind of uh, shines a light on this. So we're going to look today at the priority review voucher program for drug development. Then if we have time, we might even take a look at the orphan drug program, another um, development program that the FDA has. And so, uh, those of you who have been following these radio shows realize that drugs and therapies are actually rated A, B, C, D. So, A category means there's strong scientific evidence supporting the therapy. B means there's scientific evidence for and against, and some observations for. C means that for many individuals, the risk of the therapy is far greater than the benefit, and it requires the judgment of both the doctor and the patient to sort and sift this through to see if the individual patient sitting in front of the doctor might be one of the lucky few who would experience the very small benefit the drug has to offer. That would be C. In other words, category C would be something that has little of any scientific evidence to support it. But let's take a look at the priority review voucher program and see what this program is and what it allows for. Okay, so this uh, was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, September 28, 2015. So that's hot off the press. And um, written by some uh, certified and duly licensed uh, physicians, lawyers, and PhDs. So we'll just leave it at that, and we'll have confidence in their credentials. Okay, so what they're going to do, what they're trying to do, is to assess the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's Priority Review Voucher Program. Sounds familiar. So welfare recipients get vouchers, and now we have a different agency, the Food and Drug Administration, giving vouchers. And just to clarify it, these are vouchers to drug companies. Okay. To encourage development of drugs to treat neglected tropical diseases. I live in the tropics, many of you know, so of course this is close to my heart. But I will tell you, um, our tropical diseases down here are pretty well under control. Or rare pediatric disease and recommends improvement to the program. So they're going to recommend improvements. In 07, Congress authorized a program intended to promote development of new treatments for neglected tropical diseases, conditions that disproportionately affect poor people in developing countries. Now, we hear a lot about poor people. Poor people in the United States, poor people in developing countries. 
Every day I sat down, I had to think, what exactly is wrong with poverty? Having been poor myself through many different phases of my life, as I recall, during my periods of poverty, eating every other day for seven years, um, various other economies, I was pretty upbeat, optimistic, I didn't see anything wrong. I grew up in the ghetto. I thought it was a blast. So the question is, what exactly is the problem with poverty? What really is the essence of the negative aspect of poverty? And so as I thought about it, I realized poverty is not the problem because poor people, say, in one country might actually live better than wealthy people in another country. When I say better, I mean longer lifespan, healthier, have more material things. But there's an issue, and the issue is this, the lack of power. So what we're talking about then is powerless individuals. So if we reread this sentence, substituting powerless individuals, you get a better flavor for what's going on here. So conditions that disproportionately affect powerless people in developing read powerless countries. So neglected tropical diseases lack treatment for many reasons, including attracting little interest from multinational pharmaceutical manufacturers, which preferentially invest in developing products that offer the possibility for profitable returns. So the FDA is going to solve this problem. And let's see how they solve this problem. And I'm telling you, this is what really shocked me. I said, holy schmoly. So what they did was they issued or authorized offering priority review vouchers to companies that sponsored drugs newly approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to treat qualifying neglected tropical diseases, such as tuberculosis, malaria, schistosomiasis, and yaws. So once granted, the vouchers could be transferred or sold or redeemed at the FDA to accelerate the regulatory view of a different product. In other words, once a company received a voucher for product A, they could then sell that voucher to another company to be applied towards product C. But wait, but wait. If the FDA's job is to review, then by issuing such a voucher, it's delegating its review process to a company that's now authorized to sell this certification, if you will, to the highest bidder. So let's see what this created. How did, how did this work out? Just by the way, uh, everyone pretty much knows what tuberculosis is. Everybody knows what malaria is. Uh, schistosomiasis is a parasite. Uh, endemic in bad water, and yaws is a non-sexually transmitted variation of syphilis, just for your information. Okay, and so these vouchers then allowed the 
recipient, whoever holds this voucher, to accelerate the regulatory review of a different product. And so the standard 10-month period gets shortened to a six-month period, and it's reserved to drugs that appear to represent therapeutic advances. And we have to use the word appear, because you're going to pretty soon see what appear means. So earlier access to the U.S. market leads to longer market exclusivity periods and greater revenues. Wait a minute. Time out. These are tropical diseases. How many tropical areas are there in the United States? I mean, not many. So is this program aimed at getting treatments for Americans who travel to tropical places and come back with diseases that they got in the tropics? So this is getting very confusing. So why would a drug aimed at tropical diseases enter the U.S. market? It wouldn't because the United States is not in a tropical uh, climate zone. All right. So we've got a few contradictions here. And these uh, vouchers are going to be made available to sponsors, I mean, people who pay money, of FDA-approved drugs treating rare pediatric diseases. Okay, so we're treating powerless. We use the word poor, but we're really talking about powerless. So powerless people in powerless countries are aimed at the least, at the most powerless, which is children. Okay, so we're developing a drug to give to people who cannot possibly refuse the therapy, people who don't have power. I'm being told that my program is actually about to end, but we will continue the full hour today, and the recording will be available at my website. Okay. So... This is a bad sign. We've got drugs here that are going to the powerless of the powerless of the powerless. And so through August 2015, the FDA issued six vouchers. And the first tropical disease voucher was granted in 2009 to Novartis for an anti-malarial uh, drug, even though at the time of FDA approval, this drug had been approved in more than 80 countries. Not exactly an orphan drug. In other words, it's got plenty of approval, plenty of distribution. Why would it need an expedition, expediting voucher? Don't know. So the drug was not yet registered in the United States. So to earn the voucher, Nevada submitted the FDA eight of the 20 studies that it paid for in 93 to 07 to support the approval of drug abroad. Okay. So it didn't do any additional studies. It just ginned up the copy machine and copied what they'd already done. Next tropical disease voucher was for betaquiline, indicated for multi-drug resistant tuberculosis. Sounds virtuous. The surrogate measure of effectiveness agreed on by the FDA was how quickly patients' sputum samples converted from growth to no growth. 
That's a surrogate measure. However, pre-approval studies showed that this measure did improve with the beta-choline-treated patients, but they also showed that the treated patients had a higher death from tuberculosis, mostly from tuberculosis, from the patients who were treated than were not. So 10 of 79 died who were treated versus 2 of 81 who were not treated. So in other words, when the people receiving the drug exhibited a death rate five times that of those who did not receive the drug, the FDA and the drug company said, wait, wait, let's not measure whether they live or die. Let's measure if a certain chemical reaction or biological process takes place in the sputum and the sputum changes in the drug-treated group were better, therefore the drug is good, even though people in that group died five times as often. So this is the kind of drugs that the FDA is approving for neglected diseases. And with this kind of attention, you would pray for neglect. And so despite these concerns, the FDA approved this drug in 2012 for use, this is in parenthesis, when an effective treatment regimen cannot otherwise be provided. Well, as if this one is effective. Of course it's not effective. It's not effective if it kills people at five times the rate. All right, that doesn't stop there. So these are two of the six drugs that qualifies for this program. In 2014, Knight Therapeutics received a voucher for meltathlacine, a treatment for leishmaniasis. This drug was originally developed as an anti-cancer agent in the 80s, but was found to cure visceral, that means uh, inside the abdominal cavity, leishmaniasis in the late 1990s. And another drug company bought the first company with rights to the drug in 08 for $8.5 million. So we have a voucher that night therapeutics received from the FDA, we can guess at apparently no cost, and they're able to turn around and sell it for $8.5 million. This is akin to a person on food stamps selling their food stamps. So the person gets these vouchers, food stamps, from the government, and then says, you know what, let me sell these to someone else for their use. The government has evaluated me, determined I'm eligible, I'm going to transfer that eligibility to another entity or individual in exchange for money. So if people on food stamps can't sell their vouchers, how come drug companies who get vouchers can sell theirs? I don't know. I don't make the rules. So didn't stop there. They submitted an application to the FDA in 2013 based on trials it had not conducted that dated back to 1999, and the drug was approved in 2014. 
The voucher was then sold to Gilead Sciences later that year for $125 million. So one company got the voucher, sold to the next company for $8.5 million, and then that company sold to another company for $125 million. So what we have here is what amounts to a black market um, in vouchers. That's all it's been created is a is a currency, a surrogate currency, that's this voucher for expedited drug approval that now companies can trade among each other for increasing amounts of money. So three pediatric diseases vouchers have been awarded since 2012. First was issued in February 2014 to Biomarin after the FDA approved L-sulfate alpha, the treatment of Morquio A syndrome, inherited metabolic disease affecting about 800 children in the United States. The pivotal phase three trial for the drug was launched in February 2011, 17 months before the initiation of the program. Now, this foster was sold to Sanofi, another drug company, for $67.5 million and used to accelerate the review of LA Rokumab, a different drug, which is an inhibitor approved in July 2015 for patients with familial hypercholesterolemia. So you see how this goes? So you get a voucher for one drug, no cost. Sell it for $67.5 million and it gets applied to another drug. So, in 2015, two additional rare pediatric disease vouchers were awarded. First was granted to Escalpion Pharmaceuticals, sponsor of uh, colic acid, approved for treatment of bile acid synthesis disorders. So, the safety and effectiveness was demonstrated in 1994. So, after approval, the rights to the drug and voucher were obtained by Retrofin, which later sold the voucher to Sanofi for $245 million in May 2015. So you see here a piece of paper issued by the FDA to one company is sold to another company for $245 million. So what's happened here is an incredible speculation market has been created. And the most recent voucher was granted to United Therapeutics for approval of dinutuximab, a drug for combination use with other treatments for pediatric patients with high-risk neuroblastoma. So it was developed by the Nation Cancer Institute, which which made it, conducted initial preclinical studies, and then manufactured it through the biopharmaceutical development program to perform pivotal phase three testing. And in August, uh, United Therapeutics sold its voucher 
to another country for $350 million. You see, the numbers are getting bigger. The first voucher is sold for $8.5 million. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So based on this experience, some preliminary conclusions can be drawn <laughs> about the voucher program. First, there's little reliable evidence that the euphemism meaning no evidence that the program's primary intention of spurring novel drug development has been met, at least for tropical diseases, I mean, for sure. And these vouchers have been available for tropical diseases for seven years. And these drugs, for example, uh, one was registered worldwide uh, prior to FDA approval. Another one was registered outside the United States 10 years before its FDA review. And the sponsor with FDA application earned the voucher despite not being involved in its development. And so the other two were based on substantial public sector investment. Another taxpayers paid for the research for these drugs that supported their vouchers. And the vouchers were obtained by private companies and sold for $350 million. And hey, there was no split with the public. So these people are suggesting one way to potentially prevent such windfalls would be to redesign the voucher system so that drug companies would have to show some level of investment in a new drug development before earning the reward. Well, <laughs> I think there's a little bit more wrong with this program than that. First of all, why should the voucher be transferable? The purpose of the FDA is to conduct its reviews and to make decisions as to if a drug is or is not worthy of being consumed by the U.S. public. So then, the voucher should be no more transferable than a food stamp for a poor person or a person's monthly welfare check. So a person shouldn't be able to say, you know, I have a monthly welfare check, it's $500, uh, you know, interest rates are running 1%, so the monthly value of my $500 is really $50,000 because that's what a person has to invest to yield this kind of uh thing with $500 to get $500. So the same way a government beneficiary cannot sell or transfer their voucher or their payments they receive from the government, a company receiving a voucher pertaining to a particular drug should not be able to transfer that either to another drug or even to another um, company. So this is the problem. So this is a system created for circumventing the authority of the FDA 
and for creating very high um, high stakes uh, gambling and a secondary economy in vouchers, where the voucher becomes actually a surrogate uh, currency. Now, if this even gets worse, there's a plan to extend the voucher program to include sickle cell disease. But wait, is sickle cell disease a tropical disease? In other words, well, let's just say it is from Africa. But is it rare? No, it's not rare. Supposedly, 1 in 12 Americans with brown skin has a sickle cell trait. That's interesting. And probably a fair number of Americans without brown skin have the sickle cell trait. But this is kind of an expansion, even a um, contradiction of the original purpose of this voucher. It's supposed to address rare diseases. That's not what it's doing. Now it's going into things like um, sickle cell. Then it also is supposed to encourage the development of new drugs to serve this market. That hasn't happened. The drugs that it's been addressing are drugs that are already in development. Um, None of them came into development because of the voucher. And even worse, it's being granted for drugs that are more deadly than no treatment at all. And since when is killing a person an improvement? Since when does killing a person constitute appropriate treatment of a disease? So if you have a drug that's killing 10 of 79 as opposed to no treatment, two of 81 die, then it's tough to make a case for approving the drug or administering a drug. So what then does FDA approval really mean? It may mean the drug is, well, safe, but safe for what? Well, it seems here that the drug would be safe for um, the profits of industry participants. But the customer here, the client being served by these policies, is clearly not the patient. And especially when they're very clear, they want powerless people, poor people, in powerless countries, developing countries, and they want the most powerless segment, that would be children. And so these, this kind of uh, program would cater to a situation where the person receiving the drug is not in a position to say no. The person's not in a position to say, you know what, I don't want that drug. Because, of course, that would interfere greatly with profits, especially, again, when you're okaying drugs that have a um, substantial kill rate. So uh, a 10% kill rate is a substantial kill rate. in case anybody's wondering, because obviously if you're 10% of people who take the drug die, then all you need to do is to keep administering it, and eventually um, you'll kill everyone. So this is something that 
um, is really at the crux of, I won't say what's wrong with healthcare, because I think that's a, that's a false a false view, it's an illusion. There's nothing wrong with healthcare. But it's at the crux of the danger in healthcare. And with the, an administration agency like this, administering things in this manner, such as the voucher program, it's amazing that only 880,000 Americans each year die as a result of consuming health care. So it's, it's amazing. So they've actually got this program, the Rare Pediatric Disease Priority Voucher Review Program, um, dovetailing with the Orphan Product Development Program. And they actually share the same office. I guess they, they haven't got enough uh, going on. They've only administered or released six uh, applications, approved six applications. And so what we, what's happened here is we've got an incredibly um, robust, uh, speculative market for drug companies. So if you're a drug company and you'd like to um, get purchased for a very high price, then what you want to do is you want to get a priority review voucher for your drug. And then this will enable you essentially sell the voucher for 300 and $50 million, which is the latest. And so, there are many um, views here. The people who are kind of understanding this thing think, well, you know, we have uh, all these drug discovery and development processes. It's a long, risky road. You've got the drug discovery, the preclinical, the clinical trials, the FDA review, um, and then large-scale manufacturing. It's just incredible. And so what's not mentioned here, though, is with the orphan drug program and other um, expedited programs, the FDA is allowing drug companies to eliminate phase three in phase two of their clinical trials, and some drugs are even being launched to the public after only phase one. In other words, they only have to declare uh, that the drug is safe, but not that it's effective. Well, that it's effective and not that it's safe. Or that it's neither, and just, uh, you know, re- release it. So, these are, this is what the public is up against. They're, and so what do you do? You know, that's one question people ask is, what do you do? You've got the FDA, you've got this kind of thing going on. And I want people to understand, this is totally, absolutely legal. There is nothing wrong with the FDA approving a drug 
uh, that kills 10% of those who receive it and has a death rate five times that of the control group. This is okay. This is not illegal. This is not impeachable. This is not prosecutable. This is something the FDA has the authority to do and in this case has done. So as a private citizen, an individual, how do you handle it? Now, there are those of you who might think it's time to write a letter to your favorite politician or maybe go to court and file some legal action. I say absolute nonsense. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. What we have here is an agency, the FDA, Food and Drug Association, Administration, rather, which is thoroughly predictable. Well, you can expect the FDA to approve something if and only if it has a certain kill rate. You got this. It's okay. And so then, as a private citizen, what do you do? I would recommend you have a policy. Everyone should get in the habit of making policies. And one policy might be to not ingest anything approved by the FDA. So if something has FDA approval, then you know that it was most likely designed for powerless people in powerless countries, the least powerless portion of that population. And so it's designed to cause harm. And so if you understand what FDA approval means and if you interpret FDA approval as a sign of danger, hazard, and something that's deadly and expensive, then you only have to ask yourself a question. Is this FDA approved? Is this therapy, this pill, this preservative, this additive, this food coloring, is it FDA approved? If it is, it's a good idea not to ingest it or avoid it. It's like, you know what? I'm going to pass on this. So if it's FDA approved, it just simply has a policy that you're not allowing it into your life, that you're going to pass and let somebody else, um, you know, consume this if that's what they want to do. I mean, that's what life is about, about making choices and decisions. And everyone who wants FDA-approved stuff should have access to it. And those who don't want it should not have access to it. And that's what power is all about. Lots will say, oh, follow the money, follow the money, follow the money. If you follow the money, then you're quickly thrown off the trail. It is not about the money, it's about the power. And the fact that these that this program is aimed at the powerless the most powerless powerless people in powerless countries and the most powerless segments of the powerless people in those powerless countries, which is poor children. So that's your tip off that there is no intent to do, do good here. Because what they're looking for is the most defenseless group to put these drugs into and to apply these drugs to. And what happens is these drugs are first applied to the powerless and defenseless. And once they receive 
uh, approval, then they're remarketed uh, in a propaganda campaign to market them to people who can say no. And, of course, they wouldn't want to because who wants to say no to something that's better than sliced bread? So it's important then to realize that it's not about the money, actually. It's about you. It's about your personal power. And it's about what you're going to do when someone offers you an FDA-approved material. And that's no joke. That's serious stuff. Stuff is dangerous. It kills people. And the FDA's got the numbers to prove it. As I said, with numbers like these, 10% death rate is pretty impressive. And um, that's even higher than the kill rate for hospital admissions, which is only 1%. And a large part of the killings that happen in the medical industrial complex happen as outpatients. And a lot of those deaths are simply not documented uh, and not counted. So drugs like these, like the the most lethal one here is a um, tuberculosis drug, these deaths are not counted, or even worse, they're attributed to tuberculosis and not to the medical intervention. A lot of people say, well, you know, Dr. Daniels, I live in the United States, I'm really not at risk for this, but wait, but wait. If you have an occupation that requires that you get checked for tuberculosis, then what happens when that test shows up positive? Yeah, you're right. All of a sudden, you're faced with enormous pressure to take one of these drugs. It may be that you'll be offered the orphan drug. Not the orphan drug, but the voucher drug that was shown to be 10 times more deadly than doing nothing. And that's a pretty big uh, pretty big pill to swallow. Time for station identification. You are listening to Healing with Dr. Daniels on the Rainbow Soul Channel at BlakeRadio.com. Please visit VitalityCapsules.com forward slash Candida and get your free gift the Candida Cleaner, which tells you all the wondrous curing abilities of turpentine. As always, I welcome your calls and questions. You can call in at 914-338-0695. So this is our last 20 minutes of show here. We would ordinarily take questions. So let's see if there are any. Okay. All right, so... That is the big deal. The big deal is that these drugs are dangerous. The FDA knows they're dangerous. They're approving them, even though they're dangerous. And they're making sure that the approvals are facilitated by aiming these drugs, again, at the powerless people in powerless countries and the most powerless of those segments. This is also important because nowadays when you have the Internet, you've got all this social media going on, 
what do you think a person's family is going to do when a person is in a drug trial and they died? Right. They're going to talk about it. It's going to go viral. You're going to get a video on some video channel, and there you go, cast out the bag. But if you do this trial in a powerless country, a powerless population, and the most powerless segment of that population, those individuals are likely not going to have Internet access, and they're not going to be able to chit-chat um, about what happened to them when they were part of a clinical trial. And so this is pretty well planned out to be sure that the true deadly nature of these drugs are not known by the um, the patients, the ultimate purchases of these drugs. And obviously, when a company spends $350 million for a voucher, it is not their intent to turn around and sell the drug for a penny a pill. Correct. Now, the FDA also has another um, piece of a program. This is called the Orphan Products Grants Program. Now, this is shocking, Orphan, because over 400 products have been approved in this program. And uh, so this is what the FDA says. This is from the um, FDA.gov site. And it says, for industry. That's right. It means not for you, for industry. All right. The goal of the Orphan Drug Products Development Pro Grant Program, a grant program, yeah, this is grants. You're usually used to giving grants to poor people, people who don't work, non-contributors. This is a grant program for pharmaceutical companies to support the clinical development of products used in rare diseases or conditions where no current therapy exists or where the product, proposed product will be superior to the existing therapy. That's an important quest, uh, statement to understand. So if no therapy exists, then the product does not need to be superior to existing therapy, which would be doing nothing. So in other words, for rare diseases, all the drug has to establish is that no current therapy exists. You don't need to establish effectiveness, that's what this sentence says or whether product, proposed product would be superior to the existing therapy. So if it's existing therapy, it must show that in some way it's superior. If there's no existing therapy, then it's a wide open field. The FDA provides grants for clinical studies on safety or effectiveness that will either result in or contribute to market approval of these products. So applicants must include the application's background and documentation to support the estimated prevalence of the orphan disease or condition, or estimate how many people will be administered the diagnostic or vaccine annually. So in the case of a vaccine or diagnostic test, they have to make an estimate of how many folks are going to take the vaccine or the test every year. So there may be no people with the disease, but the FDA wants to know what's the market. 
And so what they do is they receive uh, 1,800 applications and review them, and they fund about 500 studies. That's what they've done. And it's been used to bring more than 45 products to marketing approval. So the FDA site says 45. Uh, other sites say more, but that's okay. Grants ensure that product development occurs in a timely manner, that means quick, and with a very modest investment, that means tax dollars uh, pay for it. In general, grant funding lasts four years, and there are typically 85 ongoing grant-funded products projects, and a major portion of the funds typically $14 million for a given year, go towards continued funding of prior approved grants. In other words, if you get a grant one year, they'll continue it uh, the next and the next, usually about four years. And so they usually fund between, like I said, 15 grants per year. And being an orphan drug has, as they say, benefits. And they have a grants program, but orphan drugs also get special um, privileges in terms of extension of exclusive marketing rights. So who can apply? What types of products qualify? And what studies qualified? How much money is available? And so, the estimated grant funding, 14 million, 10 million will fund non-competing continuation awards, which means they don't have to compete to get them. And 4 million will fund 5 to 10 new awards subject to availability of funds. Phase one studies are eligible to 250,000 per year for up to three years. Phase two and three studies are eligible for up to 500,000 per year for up to four years. This is a lot of money. Please note that the dollar limitation will apply to total costs, but it's for each year of request support may not exceed $500,000 total costs, whichever is applicable. And so, I have there's all, all these uh, questions. So do I need a federal-wide assurance for all foreign and domestic study side, sites? And so, yes. All institutions engaged in human research financially supported by HHS must file an assurance of protection for human subjects with the Office of Human Research. So they, they do have to file forms. But the interesting thing is um, people who are helped, uh, people, but drugs are helped by this program, get extended patent protection, extended exclusive marketing, and the FDA also does not approve or consider competing products while it is, uh, if it's issuing grant money to a particular um, company. And so the FDA then becomes a surrogate marketer. So 
The point here then is the FDA does not work for customers, does not work for people who swallow pills. It works for people who manufacture pills, medical devices, drugs, foods, food additives. And once you understand that, then you realize that FDA approval assurance of anything is actually um, unreliable. It's maybe an assurance, but it's not an assurance of safety for you. Instead, it's actually an assurance of of profitability. It's actually an assurance of mercantility for the drug company itself. Mm. <laughs> okay, let's just take a look through the chat room and see if we have some questions. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's take a look at next week's program. I've actually taken the uh, trouble to. Go ahead a few weeks and we've got all of our plans, programs planned. Next week will not be a live program. I will be traveling. Unfortunately, can't coordinate the um, travel plans so that I'm uh, out of the um, airport. So next week's program will be a replay. And it will not be a live show. All right, let's go take a look. (laughs) All right, question. Is it true that although prostate cancer may not be life-threatening, it's possible some of the cancer cells can dislodge but into other parts of the body causing damaging cancerous growth in other parts of the body? The answer is yes, but these cancerous growths are spread to other parts of the body do not shorten the person's life expectancy. This is key, very important, not exactly what we've been told about cancer. So prostate cancer, the cells under the microscope apparently do appear to be cancerous. However, um, people who have prostate cancer die of other illnesses like car accidents, heart attacks, um, pneumonia. They do not die of prostate cancer. And this is a very important thing to understand. Not only that, but the average age of death for the prostate cancer victim is uh, is 81 years of age. And the average age of death for an American male is 76 years of age. So having untreated prostate cancer is associated with longer life expectancy. If you do autopsies on men, um, say every year of life, start age 50 and go up to say age 90, 
what you notice at autopsy, this is the autopsy done, people who did not die of prostate cancer, people died of um, maybe a car accident or some other affliction, what they found is the percent that have prostate cancer goes up, 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 and up. And once you get around age uh, 75 or so, most men have prostate cancer. And they die with it, not of it. And that's the important distinction. Um, just because you have cancer and you die doesn't mean you died of the cancer. And more and more what we're finding is people who have cancer are not dying of their cancer. One reason for this, well, first of all, prostate cancer has always been that kind of cancer. And back when integrity levels ran a bit higher, um, back in the 70s, the medical profession refused to diagnose or treat prostate cancer because of this. So because prostate cancer was associated with longevity and good health, um, they did not recommend diagnosing or treat it. Okay, so that's the 70s. The other thing that's happened recently, this is now 2015, is mass screening programs. And so what mass screening programs have created is an explosion in the number of people diagnosed with cancers of all kinds. And the number dying from those cancers is pretty much uh, the same, not much different. So what's happening then is people are not being saved by medical intervention, but we're reclassifying harmless conditions as cancer and convincing people to submit to um, surgery, irradiation, and chemotherapy. So this is the shift. The shift is, if you will, a spiritual one. There's no evidence that um, cancer therapy, as it's now administered in the United States, is beneficial. If you talk to the cancer industry, they'll say, yeah, well, you know, we think we're helping at least 3% of the people who get treatment, and therefore we should treat 100% of people because we wouldn't want that 3% to not benefit. So what you have with women with breast cancer, only 30% of women who have breast cancer actually die of it. Important to note. But the other ones die of well, die of uh, heart attack. Well, wait, wait. What's heart attack? Well, it's the number one complication of chemotherapy. So you have to take a look at this and decide for yourself what you will and will not subject yourself to. Now, some people might decide, hey, prostate cancer, yeah, it sounds good to me. Cut my balls off. Irradiate me. I'm down with that. And that's okay. But other people might say, well, wait a minute. If I'm going to live longer because I got prostate cancer, then when I get the prostate cancer diagnosis, I need to just throw a party, make sure I buckle my seat belts and, you know, eat a healthy diet so I don't die of heart disease because the prostate cancer is going to give me, on average, five more years of pretty good life. So that's the understanding. So the important thing is to understand what's going on. Does prostate cancer exist? Absolutely. Do people die of it? Not usually. Should it be treated? It depends. It's like me telling you if you should be Catholic or Protestant or whatever other religious entity you try to follow. It's a personal decision. So don't 
don't ever lose sight of that. It's a personal decision. Someone tells you, do you want to get your cancer treated? You say, doctor, that's personal. You know, people need to use that phrase um, more often. You know, it's personal. And that's what it comes down to because there's no scientific evidence or proof that prostate therapy is a benefit to people who receive it. That's another problem. So if you look at the latest guidelines for treatment of prostate cancer, you can Google it. They're now recommending no treatment for mild prostate cancer. Next thing they're measuring recommending now is no treatment for moderate prostate cancer. Well, wait a minute. If you're not going to treat mild prostate cancer, if you're not going to treat moderate prostate cancer, what's the point of early detection? Exactly. None. So, you just need to apply, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, rational analysis. And also, when people suggest to you that harmless diseases deserve uh, drastic intervention, you can just go uh, take a look at what the research shows. Most of the standard of care in medicine is absolutely not supported by medical research. Medical research doesn't support it. The standard of care is a series of maneuvers imposed on doctors and patients through intimidation, um, not supported by research. All right, that's it for tonight. We will see you next week, and think happens. And remember, if it's FDA approved, it's probably not good for you. Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 